It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and today I am so excited to have one of my good friends on the podcast, Dr. Anthony Sweat. <laughs> we just Carmen. talked about what to call you, and I'm oh. calling you by your full professional name. You've earned it. You have a PhD. You're a professor. Oh, you're, you're kind, but everybody growing up just called me Big T or Tony or T-Bone. So Big let's T, T-Bone. Oh, I like that. T-Bone's awesome. Yeah. Well, Anthony Sweat is talking with us today. And Anthony, I'm going to read your bio really quick, and then we're going to talk about just all the amazing things you are doing, how you are doing good right now. So Anthony, you are an associate professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. You received your bachelor's degree in painting and drawing and your PhD in curriculum and instruction. You were the author of several books, most recently Seekers Wanted, which is one of my very, very favorite books. Oh, and I just you. have to put a plug in for anyone that is wanting to know how to search for truth and how to find answers to questions they have. This changed my whole perspective on how I seek and how I ask. And, oh, and, that makes my day. Oh, it, it's, it's amazing. So everyone, honestly, read this book, Seekers Wanted and The Holy Invitation as well. Oh, is a beautiful you. book. You're a regular speaker at Latter-day Saint events, which is where we met and conferences. Right. We met at a timeout, what, like eight years ago? Yeah, it was a, it was a while back. It was a while back. And then you and your wife, Cindy, are the parents of seven children. That is awesome. I just can't that's imagine. I have. Work of all right there. I know. It is the best work, the busiest work, yep. the most, I, I always say it's like the most wonderfully hard thing that yep. I do is being Wonderfully parent. maddening. Might be wonderfully good... maddening. Yep. <laughs> I know. My husband and I, the other day we were in the kitchen and, and he was playing with his hair and he's like. I, what would it be like without kids? Of course we love our children. He's like, I would, I wouldn't be losing my hair. We would be going on vacations. I'm like, I know I'm like my body, like I wouldn't have all these stretch marks. And we just started going off and our kids were like, Hey, hey. like we're just kidding. But it is it. Parenthood changes you in every way. It really it does, does. Yeah. for the better. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's maddening. <laughs> so speaking of that really quick, I wanted to ask you a question. So you a while ago when we did, when we were speaking at Time Out for Girls, you shared this incredible story about knowing that your wife was in labor and having a prompting to pull over. Do you remember this on the side of the road? Do you remember sharing this yeah. story? Yeah. And it was the and and knowing so you're gonna have to tell it, but it was an incredible story about being inspired and prompted by the Holy Ghost to act and do something and to be there for your wife. And I thought that right there, like explained your whole relationship to me with your wife and, and with heavenly father. So can you explain to us what that situation was like? Oh, that's funny. I didn't expect to kick off with that story, I but know. I'll, yep. I'll, I'll share it. Well, to clarify a little bit, my wife was actually uh, divinely with me when that happened, because it was when I was going to college, I was super busy. I was, I, working on my undergrad at the University of Utah, I was going to school full time. I was working full time. I would get up at seven in the morning. I wouldn't get home till ten or eleven at night every day. Oh and my it, believe it or not, even though I'm in 
I'm, I'm young and hip, wink, wink. Um, this is before everybody had cell phones. Yes. So my wife was, a, you know, this is 1998. My wife was afraid she was going to go into labor and wouldn't be able to get a hold of me that I would be somewhere on the used campus or. Yeah. Anyway, so I was leaving the U to drive to my job, heading down the freeway, and I happened to get delayed. I I got a parking ticket for not having a parking pass when my parking pass was hanging right in my car. Had to find the cop. He didn't know why he wrote me the ticket. He said it slowed me down anyway. So yeah. I'm driving down the freeway, and all of a sudden the on ramp merges on, and it's I look to the car to my right, and it's my wife. That's so cool. <laughs> and in our 23 years of marriage, I have never before nor since merged on next to her on the freeway randomly. Yeah. Yep. And when I saw her, I motioned to her and I said, pull over, you know, at the next exit because we couldn't talk on the phone. Yep. So she pulls over and I'm like, what are you doing? And she says, I got let go from, you know, work earlier. I can't remember why she was being let go early from where she was going. And yep. she said, you're late. And I said, I know I got this parking ticket. And right there on the side of the road, when we pulled over, her water broke. Um, and she went into labor and she jumped in, you know, we, we literally just drove off in the car together to the hospital. And the cool thing about it was just a few days before then she had asked me to give her a blessing. And I remember being specifically prompted in the blessing to say that I would be there for her when she needed me. Oh my so, goodness. I mean, stories like that, uh, some people might want to pass them off as coincidence. Uh, it's not coincidence to me. It's never no happened before, never since. I I see it as small, tender mercies where the Lord's hands in our life. Just fun story. It, it's the it's the coolest story, and I'm glad you clarified. I couldn't remember if you were prompted to get on the freeway at the time, or I forgot it was the parking ticket that There's made you late. Yeah. <laughs> but because of that, and like you said, the cop didn't even know why he gave it to you. Like Heavenly Father just, okay, I'm going to orchestrate this perfectly. Yeah. So you'll be with your wife at the exact moment when her water breaks and she needs you. And what would she have done? Her water breaks in the car. I what mean, she done? in 1998, all we had was one of those dumb pagers. Yeah, no had, way. And when I explain pagers to my kids, they're like, now what? You wait, you call a thing so you can go find a pay phone and call exactly. a thing. Yeah. My dad, my dad is a doctor. He's a psychiatrist. And we used to page him all the time at work. When are you coming home? And so we'd have to page him and he'd see our number. But then, you know, you don't call back. So we don't know if he's getting him or not because you can't, yeah. you can't respond to it. That's so funny. You had a pager. I can help yeah. you with the pager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I love that story because I think it just explains so beautifully the relationship that you have with your wife and with Heavenly Father and that, that you are living your lives in a way that, that you could be in tune to the spirit and, and, and let him guide you and direct your life. And, and throughout your life, you've been able to do some incredible things. You're a professor at BYU, but most recently you've sort of come out as this incredible, amazing artist. When I first met you 10 years ago, I had no idea how incredible you were, that, that this was something that you kind of did for fun, right? Like years and years ago. And then when did you decide, Hey, I'm actually really good at this. I want to start studying this seriously and start producing and selling my, my work as an artist. Yeah. Oh, well, you're kind, Carmen. Thanks. I, well, my original plans, my first career plans were to be a full-time painter. That was, no, I did not know that. Yeah. That was career plan number one. Okay. Um, and if I'm being honest, I don't know. I didn't 
I didn't go much beyond saying I was going to major in art in college and then see where it took me, but that's where I wanted to go. So I always drew and painted growing up. I was the Sterling Scholar in art in high school, if you know anything. Awesome. Listening from Utah. Yes. Um, And and so when I had to declare a major in college, I thought, well, I want to study something that I love and that I'm naturally interested in and maybe have some capacities that I want to develop. So I applied and was accepted to the University of Utah's fine art school in painting and drawing Awesome. and was taught very well and, and pretty rigorously on figure painting and figure structure and landscape and color theory and principles and elements of design and everything you need to do to be a studio artist. All the things. Yeah. And it just so happened that during my time at the University of Utah, I I spoke in our ward uh, that we were living in at the time, and this great old man walked up to me and said, what do you plan on doing for a career? And I said to him, well, I'm going to be a painter. And he said, well, how do you ever plan on making a living at that? And I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And he said, have you ever thought about being a teacher for the church, teaching religion or teaching in the church educational system? And I blew him off. I said, oh, really? I was like, you know, like being a seminary teacher. I remember I said it so condescendingly. Oh, you that's know? so funny. And, and he said, yeah. Um, he said, you ought to think about it. And then he shared that he had had a strong prompting that he should talk to me about it. And he happened to work for the church educational system as one of their main trainers downtown in the church office building. Oh, interesting. And he said, you know, I spend most of my days telling people they shouldn't be a teacher for the church. And he said, so I kind of hesitated to say, that you should look into it. Right. And it was one of those rare moments in life. I think for the most part, the Lord just lets us use our agency and make choices and he'll guide as we seek him out. But this was one of those rare times where the Lord kind of grabbed me by the collar and said, hey, I want to point your life in this direction. And um, it sent me down a path of becoming a, I was lucky that when I graduated from college, I was offered a full-time position to teach for seminaries and institutes of religion did that for 13 years while I worked on a master's and a PhD. But during those years, I always kept painting and I always kept wondering where painting would fit into my life. Why did I feel like I should pursue this? Was this just, like you said, was this just a side hobby? Yeah. Was it just something to get me a bachelor's degree so that I could go on to become a religious educator? I didn't know. And to me, it's just a great lesson in following little promptings because I continued to feel driven to paint. So I literally would get up at six in the morning and I would paint from six to 7 a.m. and then go to seminary and teach from seven seven to four, roughly. Come home, I would write books and be with my family and be with my wife. And then when they would all go to bed, I would paint from 10 to 11 or midnight. And that's kind of what I did for 10 years. Oh my goodness. And if, if to kind of complete the story, it wasn't until I was lucky enough to be hired to be a professor at BYU 13 years later that I started to see that there was a gap in, well, a gap in like a lot of really important scenes of church history that had never been painted before. Yep. And I, I thought, I started to make a list and I made a list of dozens and dozens of not just side scenes like you know hey this was probably p pratt's favorite tree you know um, right but important things like the first baptism for the dead that was ever done 
or uh, the ordination of some of the black men who were ordained to the priesthood during Joseph Smith's time, or Joseph translating the Book of Mormon using a hat. Um, a lot of scenes that had just never really been visually depicted. And so it took, um, I graduated in 1999 with my bachelor's degree, and I started working on these paintings in 2013. Oh my goodness. And so it's just a lesson to me that sometimes we have to be patient and there's a right timing that sometimes isn't the same way with our timing. And it's just the right time for these paintings to pop out from me. But it's taken, no exaggeration, 10 to 20 years for it to happen. I love that you talk about the right time for things and how you had all these talents that you were still cultivating. It wasn't, well, I'm not painting right now, so I'm going to put that on the back burner, not worry about it. You were still painting every day and, and honing your skills and getting better and better it, with art. Same with music. If I don't sing every day and, and practice and, and use my voice, it's like a muscle. It'll get stiff yeah. and worn out. It won't work as well. And I imagine it's the same with art and you learn new things and, and, and you get better and, and, and you can more efficient. And I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm not an artist. And so I'm not sure, but I imagine it's the same. It's, it's something that you need to use in order to get better. You are an artist. It. You are a vocal artist. <laughs> I'm a vocal artist. That's, That's right. right. But I love that you talked about that heavenly father gave you a bunch of different talents. And then in following you know, what you thought was best and, and, and promptings, you were able to use them in the right way and at the right time. And I think, what would you say to people that feel like, okay, I love basketball. I'm an amazing player. I have all these opportunities, but I also really love drama and I want to be in the play and I want to sing. And, and I'm also really great. I would at- say that, mo- that movie has already been done. It's called Troy Bolton <laughs> high school musical, baby. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> high school musical. Dang it. They can't try out for that. But what do you do if you feel like Heavenly Father has given me multiple talents? How do I know what the right one is to use at the right time? That is a really good question. Um, You know, kind of my default that I go back to is in section 128 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph Smith says something very beautiful. He says, he's writing a letter to the Latter-day Saints. And he says, I now resume the subject of the baptisms for the dead. For it is the subject that occupies my mind and presses upon my soul the strongest. And that's just a cool kind of like, how do you know when God's working with you? Well, you pay attention to what occupies your mind and what presses upon your soul at the time. And, you know, what what pressed upon my mind when I was 23 was that I needed to become a religious educator. I needed to become a good teacher. Okay. That was foremost. That was foremost. And then on the back burner was also, you know, keep developing your art abilities, keep painting. It's enjoyable. And you might never know when that might press upon you or be called upon. And then the next thing that pressed upon me was get your graduate degrees. I didn't want to get graduate degrees. Um, (laughs) I didn't. I really was like, I remember rounding the corner, leaving the University of Utah when I finished my last undergraduate class. So happy, rounding I-215, heading westbound, getting ready to go home thinking, I have no more dumb college classes. Yes, done. I still remember what song was on the radio. It was Filter, 
take a picture. I love that song. I know. Do you want to take my picture? Yep. I love it. I totally remember that. And I remember at that moment, a, a, a thought occupied my mind saying, you need to go on and get a master's degree. Right then. On the day I finished my last bachelor's degree class. No way. And that continued to press upon me to then move on to a PhD. And that occupied my time and attention for seven, eight years of my life. It's a long time. It is. And then when I got during that time, I started having promptings and things pressing on me to write because I was becoming a teacher and a thinker and an academic and had ideas. Yes. So I started publishing some books too. And then it led, led to BYU. And then I started being pressed upon to bring all these worlds together to say, okay, you're a teacher. You teach church history and doctrine. You're a writer and you're a painter. And now it's the right time to grow this tree or to plant this seed and see how it grows. So that's what I've, I've, I've worked on this project. I started it in 2013 and uh, it's now being published in 2020. So to those Troy Boltons out there or Gabriela Montezes or whoever you are, I would say uh, trust that the Lord has plans for you. His plans might be different than your current thoughts for yourself, but, but don't define yourself by your plans necessarily. Define yourself by saying, I'm going to listen to his plans. I'm going to follow his promptings, his guidance and trust that his wisdom is greater than my own and trust his divine timing and and all things will work together eventually i believe very strongly for everybody yes i i could not agree with you more and i think that our timing oftentimes i found in my life and what i want for my life isn't um it, it is it is what heavenly father wants but but my view of how it will work out is is oftentimes very different than how yeah. it actually works out whatever i have in my mind of I'm going to do this. It's like, okay, you can do this, but not for the reason you think you're going to do it. Yeah. For example, when I was 17 and on American Idol, the reason in my mind was, well, I want to be a singer. That's my career. That's what yeah. I want to do. And it's a righteous desire. I want to, I love music. I felt like that was a talent Heavenly Father had given me as a 17. No, it's funny to look back on and think, oh man, I had so much to learn and so much... But that was that was the opportunity that I had, and I thought I'm going to make a lot of money. So my my husband never has to work, and he's going to just come with me on my tour bus. We're going to tour the world, and we're going to also be able to share the gospel while I yeah. do it. Yeah, that was my reason, and Heavenly Father's reason was no. I'm going to use this talent to share the gospel. You're not going to be famous and make a million dollars, but because of this opportunity, I'm going to use it. For for the for the foremost and, and the primary purpose of sharing the gospel, and that's when Time Out for Women came along, and I wrote a book as well and did yep. CDs, and it was yeah, and it's um, on a much smaller scale, but in such a more meaningful way. And sometimes yeah. I think we think, and I don't think there's anything wrong with dreaming big. I think Heavenly Father wants you to accomplish your dreams, and He wants you to accomplish your goals, but sometimes what He has is is more meaningful, and and. We, it's it's hard sometimes not to say, well, I, well, I just want to go really big with it. And instead maybe think, well, what is maybe the most meaningful way I can use my talents? Thank you for sharing that, Carmen. Because, you know, at the heart of it, sometimes I think our frustrations 
I think of that President Monson quote that he was fond of saying, if I'm remembering it right, you know, where he says, I can't remember the whole poem, but the the tagline at the end is, you know, it was this person that was put out to work in a vineyard where nobody would see what he was doing. Yeah. And then the tagline is, are you working for them or for me? Right. And that, if I'm being real, that's, that's a big question for all of us, even for For myself. It was a big question for Joseph Smith. There were two things that held Joseph Smith back from accomplishing his divine uh, plan that the Lord had from him. You know, we, we often hear that Joseph, it took him four years before the Lord would give him the plates as though right. that was some predetermined time. I don't think it was. My read of Joseph Smith's history is the Lord wanted to give Joseph the plates, but Joseph wasn't ready. And it took Joseph Smith four years to get ready. And the two things that Joseph says in his history held him back were he was too focused on the praise of other people, having his own glory. Right. And not the glory of God. And he was too focused on money, the financial reward that might come from the plates or the book and not for the salvation of God's children. Yeah. And those were the two things I I tell people all the time, you know, the two great tempters in public life are money and fame. For sure. Absolutely. And, And that's what held Joseph back. And it's what will hold us back. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with being famous. And there's yeah. nothing wrong, like you said, with dreaming big. But if our motives are self-centered instead yes. of God-centered, we're going right. to go astray. Exactly. I love that you bring that up because Joseph Smith was a teenager. I mean, he was yeah. he was 14. And I think about that. That is what you think about as a teenager is making money and 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 being valued and having people yeah. see your worth and your value. And this farm boy that came from nothing and had this opportunity to make a name for himself, you could see why that would be alluring to him and and how, why it's alluring to us too. Everyone yeah. wants to be popular. Everyone wants to have people like them and make money. And I love that you bring that up that I, the, I've, if there's one thing I've learned in my life is the Lord has infinite patience. He can wait on us forever. Yeah. I mean, he has so much patience and, and will wait until he gets us to where we, he wants us to be. To be. And yes. And so going into that, this new book that, that you yeah, have, I got, I got to say one more thing. Oh Frank. yes, yes, yes. Because like when I look at your career trajectory, um, you could be Taylor Swift. You, you've got the swift pipes. Um, and I know you were on the same trajectory early you on. I knew her, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. what's interesting is, and I'm not, I, 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 I'll be the first person to say that when, as a grown man, I will rock the Taylor Swift albums. I have For no sure. Shame. She's awesome. Um, but God may be using Taylor Swift in ways that Taylor Swift can do things. And he's using Carmen Herbert to do things that only Carmen Herbert can do. And does that make sense? Yes. And, and uh, even though the fame and the money might not be the equivalent, what's the equivalent is that the Lord will use us each individually in ways that he almost can't use other people. And that's one thing that I've had to settle in on too, is what is it that I have to offer? Well, I uniquely have to offer somebody who teaches and speaks and writes and paints and knows church history and doctrine. And I I hope that doesn't come across pretentious, but there's not a lot of people in that niche, in that field. Yeah. Whereas 
uh, I've learned very quickly, the Lord has other great artists who are better painters than I am, uh, better artists in the church than I am, who understand art and art theory and have better business models than I do. And he's using them. And it, it's not my job to be them. Yes. My, my job is to be Anthony Sweat and do what Anthony Sweat was sent to do. And your job is to be Carmen Herbert and do what Carmen Herbert was sent to do. And whoever the listener is, it's your job to do your specific mission, not someone else's mission. Thank you so much for saying that and for bringing that up. That That's so sweet of you and means a lot to me. And, and it's something that I had to learn over time and be okay with because it was, well, why aren't I? Like I said, I knew Taylor. We, our record label, my record label president was her record label president's dad. We walked the red carpet together. We released our albums together. Like we were right there neck and neck yeah. from the beginning. And then she took off, her album took off, my album didn't. And so many times I thought, why? Yeah. Why? And I would, and I had people tell me, and not to sound boast of myself either, but they're like, wow, vocally, we think you are so much better. But, but, but Taylor is more tenacious and she's more, she was willing to do anything it took to make it. And there was a time where I had to think to myself after I got married and I was taking my wedding ring off to sing. They didn't want me to appear like I was married. And, and they said, you know, we don't want it to seem like you want to have a family. Like you, like that's forefront on your mind. Like we want, people want to imagine you as single and desirable. And I remember thinking, but I don't, I do want a family. I am married. Yeah. That is, and I am not willing to do whatever it takes. And I look at her now and she, she is still single and she doesn't have a family. And I do. And I think, wow, I'm so glad that this is the path that I chose. And, and I, I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. I always will be. I listen to her music. I love her. She's amazing and down to earth and so sweet, but my heart aches for what she could have too. And, 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 you know, the truly meaningful things in life, which are, which are faith and family. So it, I, I love that you talk about how you are meant to do what you are supposed to do. Heavenly father has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for Taylor. And I think with moms, especially that because we aren't, a lot of us aren't the breadwinners, you know, and the providers for our family, we can kind of do our fun stuff on the side. It's sometimes hard to find that well, what am I doing with my talents? And yeah. what? how is Heavenly Father going to use me? Right now I'm just being a mom and I gave up all that to deal with the crazy <laughs> madness of my crazy children and finding Halloween costumes at night and baking things. And, you know, like, yeah. but that's something else that I found is I love to bake and I never cooked growing up ever, ever, never. I was terrible at it. And then once I started having kids, I'm like, I want to make cinnamon rolls and cookies. And a little while ago, I was making cinnamon rolls for conference. And my boy said, you make the best food. And I was like, that is the best compliment <laughs> ever. And that was another talent that I've discovered is, is baking and making things. And so I think that that's something that I've struggled with as, as a mother and as a woman trying to still see that vision for my life and still know how heavenly father wants to use me. And I think a, a lot of women in particular struggle with that. Like, well, now yeah. what, now what am I supposed to do? Yeah. I, 
And thanks for sharing that. And I, I would be remiss to say, whoever's listening to this, there are a lot of tears and there's a lot of frustration. And if you read my early journal, it is, you know, this is, I'm 24, 25, 26 years old saying, I don't know if I'm on the right track. I don't know if I'm using this right. I don't know if I will ever use this or do this or, and there's, there's a lot of frustration. And so, yeah. And I'm sure you've experienced frustration too. Totally. And, and so there, there's just no way around it. You you and I are not going to find our path. Nobody clears a path without having to whack through the weeds and the bushes and get cut and bruised and cry and be frustrated and wonder if they're on the right track. And so uh, that's a natural part of finding your calling are those struggles. And so don't don't think that as I'm telling my narrative as a guy who's turning 45 this year, it's easy for me now in hindsight to see right. the Lord's hand. But at the time we're walking in the dark and you, you only see one step ahead. And so I don't want anybody who's listening to get the wrong idea that there isn't a lot of worry and stress and struggle and tears and fears and frustrations as you're carving that path for you, your, your path, you know? I am so glad you brought that up. Thank you. Because you you actually posted on Instagram a while ago about all your failures. Yeah. And you said, before this happened, I failed at this. Before this happened, I failed at this. Before I sold this book, I was rejected by all these. And you listed, here's everything I didn't succeed at. Yeah. Because you do. You see, you are a successful painter, professor, author, speaker. And you think, wow, but I just got turned down. I was cut from my high school choir. I did not make my honor choir. The first two times I tried out, I was cut. I did yeah. not make American Idol the first time I tried out. I yep. did not make my school play when I tried out for the lead. And so you think about, it's almost reassuring and comforting. Not that you're like, oh good, they failed too. But to know, wow, this is a normal part of growing yeah. is being knocked down yep. and then getting back up and trying again and doing it in a different way that I, I, I'm so glad you said that, that there's a lot of struggle and a lot of failure. And there's a lot of failure. Success. Yeah. That, and I was amazed by the way, I, I just posted those on my Instagram stories on, on a whim. And I the loved reason, that. And the reason why was because my daughter, and I hope she doesn't care that I say this, my senior daughter just got, she just lost her varsity tennis position at the time. She had played varsity tennis, singles tennis the year before, and then got beat out by a younger girl this year twice. So as a senior, she got knocked down to playing on, with the JV girls. Oh my God. And I, so struggle and failure and not having things work out was on my mind. And I just threw those on Instagram saying, hey, I got rejected uh, by multiple schools before I ever got accepted. BYU rejected me three times. I was going to say, including the school that you are now a professor for. Yeah. I can't tell you how many paintings I've had turned away. I can't tell you how many books I've been told no to. And it, I mean, even back, you posed the question of what if you're a high school basketball player? I was a high school basketball player. In high school, I was, I was good enough to play college basketball. Now, not major, but I had smaller schools recruiting me and wanting me to play for them. And I remember one school invited me down to see if they wanted to offer me a scholarship position. And I was there with a dozen other guys competing for this scholarship position. And 
at the end of the two-day tryout, I got a letter in the mail when we came home. I got a letter in the mail, and I remember opening it up from the school, and it was handwritten from the coach, and all he said was basically like, "We thank you for coming down. You're not, not quite what we're looking for. And oh then he said, goodness. good luck in your art career, because I, <gasps> I wanted to major in art. Uh, like maybe you should focus on that instead. Uh, maybe, no way. Maybe basketball is not your ticket. Uh, six foot three guy who can't jump very high and is 165 no pounds. So anyway, fail, my point in telling you that was when I posted those stories, I literally, this is not an exaggeration, probably got 300 DMs. No way. I thought about DMing. I thought about, in fact, I wonder if I did comment on it because that that honestly was, I don't think you understand, Anthony, like so impactful that po- did you save it as a bubble or is no, it gone forever? I need, oh. I need to. Well, I, I've had a bunch of people say, put those back up. I need to you reread did. them. You should. So maybe I will. And I might do a bigger kind of post or thought on failure as a whole. But what was interesting to me was to see how many people struggle with that concept of, oh, I think that successful people just automatically know exactly what to do and they never yeah. struggle and fail. Right. And what surprised them was to see that the more common narrative is most of us are just taking one step at a time, acting in faith, and there's a lot of struggle and failure in the process. Absolutely. And what I found in my failures are ways to be creative in other ways. Like, okay, I I didn't win American Idol and I've always loved writing and loved English in school and 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 was fairly good at it. But I mean, I don't have a degree in in English. I'm not an English major or I thought about getting a degree in communications or broadcast journalism or something like that. And I called up Deseret News one day and I said, Hey, um, would you like me to write about David Archuleta was trying out that season? I'm like, I know David, we take from the same voice coach. I could kind of do like updates on him every week. And they're like, sure. And what turned into this little side thing ended up, I I was a columnist for them for 10 years and I was a columnist. I mean, that's awesome. That's crazy. And found my love. So I think that through failure too, we can learn to get creative once we get over the it's hard. It's not like, well, then just do something else because it really hurts no, sometimes. And it's hard it to be rejected, especially with something that you just knew you were supposed to do. And this was my dream. But if we can find ways to get creative and have that growth mindset, Heavenly Father loves to use us and loves he loves someone that has drive and someone that is anxiously engaged in a good cause and more willing to support that person than the person that just is down about everything all yeah. the time and able yeah. to use them in, in different ways and, and at the right time, like you said. And maybe that's something that with Joseph Smith too, I mean, he had plenty of times in the scriptures where he was down and depressed and upset and sad. And then times where he was like, okay, well, you know, now you get to work and now, and now you get back up and, and you find new ways to do things. And yeah. this printer and this, they don't accept it. Well, well let's go to someone else. Let's figure here. out it. Yeah. Let's go over here. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said growth mindset because I'm saying the word failure. And I hope that doesn't rub any listener wrong because a, a better way to look at it is, uh, you know, uh, figuring out what didn't work so yeah. that you can maybe figure out a, a better or different or more efficient uh, way, effective way to go. Yeah. So it's not necessarily a failure. It's a learning opportunity. 
Yes, it, absolutely. It is a learning opportunity. And it's hard. So, like I said, sometimes I get mad when people like when I'm in the failure moment and I'm in the moment where I got rejected and I, something didn't yeah. work out. It's it's hard to have that growth mindset. But if you can, and once you get past that, amazing things can happen. Yeah. And so let's talk about your your book, the repicturing the restoration and all these paintings that you had been doing for years and years that were sitting and ideas that you had that were waiting for it's time to come out. What made this year, what made you say, okay, now, now is the time. Now is the time where these need to be, these need to be shown. And I feel like now is the time to give this to the world. Yeah. I, well, one of the things is it just took a lot of time to paint all those pictures and to write them. But I, and again, maybe this is back to a bigger theme that's kind of emerging from this conversation. I don't think I was ready 10 or 20 years ago to, to paint and write and talk about these subjects because they're not just all happy paintings. Now, some of them are, but my goal in this project is to say, Hey, listen, you know, the restoration is full of highlights and shadows. It's full of successes and failures. President Kimball one time said, we need to paint the, the great revelations and the great moments of church history, but we also need to paint the inner revolutions, the apostasies, the struggles, and the failures. Why do you think we need that, those? Because without that, we have a false narrative of life. We, If we only look back at people that we admire and think that it was all victories, then we wonder why that's not our life. And we think that God isn't with us because we think, well, the only people God is with are people who never struggle. Right. And so... Part of like there's there's scenes that I painted in this book that are probably not pictures that you necessarily would want to hang above your fireplace or your family room. You know, Joseph Smith and Emma Smith arguing over the revelation on plural marriage. That's one of my paintings I did. Is it? What is it called? Yeah, it's called Purgatory. Purgatory. Because Joseph wrote in his journal after he wrote down that revelation, well, Joseph scribed it to be accurate, that the last three days he and Emma had argued incessantly basically in the home i can imagine yeah uh, understandably so and then joseph or his scribe wrote in shorthand last three days have been hell or purgatory oh for them. my goodness so i have this painting that i did of joseph and emma sitting in front of a low-lit fireplace emma hurt and wounded and joseph sitting kind of looking away holding the revelation because it shows that that there was struggle and that sometimes revelation isn't always easy and convenient and produces difficulty. Those are important narratives to have, have. Or I did a painting of Joseph and his brother, William Smith, getting into a fist fight, wrestling, because they got as grown men. Joseph was the president of the church and William was an apostle. And they got into a disagreement and William Smith beat Joseph Smith up so bad <laughs> Despite our narratives that Joseph Smith was the toughest man in the world, right? William Smith lunged at him before Joseph was trying to take his coat off when he saw that William was enraged at him. He was trying to take his coat off so he could fight him, but his brother got to him too quick and beat the tar out of him so bad that Joseph couldn't get out of bed for a day. Unbelievable. They, they couldn't reconcile, as any grown siblings that got into a physical altercation, they couldn't reconcile for weeks. And it took a family intervention on New Year's Day to kind of have them forgive each other. And 
I wanted to do that painting because it shows regular human things of anger and pride and violence, but it also shows how both Joseph and William were willing to exercise the Christian faith of compassion and forgiveness and empathy and familial love. And um, so there's paintings in there like that. And back to your original question, number one, I couldn't have done these 10 or 20 years ago. I didn't have the artistic talent. Number two, I didn't have the knowledge. I needed, as a professor, I needed to learn and understand these aspects of our history. Yes, right. And I didn't know them well enough 20 years ago. And then number three, I needed to develop ways to present and talk about them in a transparent and an open way, but also in a way that informs and edifies. And so why now? Well, because now is the right time for me. I couldn't have done it before. I'm so glad that now is the right time. And I'm glad that you are that you have painted these light and darkness photos, the good, the bad, because for me, it gives me hope that if someone, if someone is capable of, of making these mistakes and, and getting into fights and whatever, but also restoring the gospel, how can heavenly father use me? Like we are all capable of receiving our own revelation and inspiration and and Heavenly Father is able to use us in incredible ways. And it's not, well, I'm not a Joseph Smith or, well, I'm not President Nelson. So why would I be able to receive, have miraculous things happen to me? But the scriptures have yeah. said, like, no, anyone, Heavenly Father wants to reveal the mysteries of the universe to anyone who is an active seeker and who is anxiously engaged to learn about the gospel, to stay close to the Holy Ghost. It's not reserved for a special few. No, I don't think. I don't it, think it is either. We are all capable of, of being as close and having the, the kind of faith that these incredible Latter-day Saints of the early restoration had. Yeah. If, if we have this idea in our mind that the Lord only works with flawless people, then the Lord doesn't work with anyone. That's right. the reality. Right. And the beauty of painting some of these scenes is that I think it sends the message that if the Lord will work with them in their weakness, he'll work with me in my weakness too. Yes. And that's something that I love that. And I love that you're doing that and that you've made them human, that you've yeah. made them you've and, and little scenes from their lives, like little snapshots instead of like the big moments, like you talk about, you know, jo heavenly father and Jesus Christ appearing to Joseph and you talk, you know, about there's the big moments that you see, but I love that you're now going inside of their lives a little bit more yeah. and showing the intimate private moments. So Anthony, you, you talk about the artist Arnold Freiburg or Freiburg and how his most famous paintings like Abinadi standing in front of King Noah and Samuel the Lamanite standing on the wall. Those are like ingrained in our mind, but some of the lesser known the scripture stories about like Alma and Amulek surrounded by fire. And, you know, some of those scenes you don't remember, they're maybe harder to remember because yeah. they weren't depicted in art. Yeah. And that's something you wanted to do is bring some of these scripture stories literally to life. Yeah. So people can remember these stories through, through art. Is that right? Well, that's yeah. right. Because art has, uh, whether we recognize it or not, art is a powerful uh, teacher of the scriptures and of history. Yes. You know, I, I mentioned, like you just said, 
you could grab most any random Latter-day Saint and say, name me 10 Book of Mormon stories off the top of your head. And odds are they will they will match up very closely to the scenes that uh, Freeberg depicted and that are in all the copies of the Book of Mormon. So interesting. Yes. Yep. Because we've seen them thousands and thousands of very few people will talk about Alan Amulek and the prison walls tumbling down or Lehi and Nephi, the third being encircled by fire, even right. though those moments are just as dramatic. And it, odds are if Freeberg hadn't painted Samuel on the wall, most of us wouldn't talk about or know that story. So that's the power of art is that it embeds itself in our conscious and subconscious mind. So that's why I wanted to paint a number of these scenes is because when we start to see things visually, we, we start to remember them better. Right. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's true. And so what inspired you to pick which paintings would go into the repicturing, the restoration? How did yeah. you decide what you wanted to depict? So kind of my my litmus test was, is it important to our, like, is it somehow influential in our history, either historically or doctrinally? Okay. So, and, and then number two, has it either never been depicted before or has it not been depicted consistent with what the historical record says? Okay. So is it important and does it need to be depicted in a way that's never been depicted before? So Okay. That was kind of my litmus test. So like I, the first painting in the book is a painting of the first vision. Well, there's hundreds of paintings of the first vision, but what I did was I said, well, nobody or very, very few people anyway, has ever tried to bring all the accounts of the first vision into one scene. Very few people have ever showed in the 1835 account, Joseph says, I saw many angels. So my oh, yeah. first vision scene has a lot of angels in the grove. Oh, interesting. Um, Joseph didn't say the father and the son appeared at the same time. Like all of our images have them standing side by side. Yes. In three of the accounts, Joseph said one being appeared first. And then after a while, another being appeared. Oh, so interesting. I didn't place the father and the son next to each other. Um, okay. Very few images show the adversarial attack on Joseph. So that's an example of, I painted a first vision scene, but I'm trying to paint it more consistent with the historical record and maybe in a way that hasn't been visually shown before. Was that hard for you to be historically accurate and yet also able to use your artistic freedom to depict the message and meaning of the painting that you wanted to? Oh yeah, that's always that's always a tension and that will never be resolved. Um, everybody who views church art or art that has to do with Latter-day Saint history or doctrine or Christian history or doctrine, you have to understand that it is not literal history, no matter what. Right. Yes. So even take something like the, well, take one of my favorite stories that I depicted in there, which was uh, Jane Nyman and the first baptism for the dead. So again, really important, you know, the work for the dead, that's a foundational Latter-day Saint practice and doctrine. Well, we had never depicted the woman who likely did the first baptism for the dead. And it's a, so historically, really cool story. Yeah. This woman has a son, a teenage son who has died without being baptized. The woman's name is Jane Nyman. Her son's name is Cyrus. She hears Joseph preach about baptisms for the dead. She grabs an elder, a friend named Harvey, oh, Harvey Olmstead. They go down to the Mississippi River. 
and he makes elder Olmstead makes up a prayer on the spot. She gets baptized for her son. So a female being baptized for a male Eight. in a river, not in the temple because the temple wasn't completed yet. Right. And then the witness is a woman. Her name's Vienna Jakes. And she rides into the river on a horse so that she can be close to listen and hear what was done. So, okay, number one, visually, that's a cool scene. So cool. I have goosebumps when you described it. Yes. And so now I'm going off history. That's a real historical event that happened. Yes. But I don't know exactly what Jane Nyman looked like. I don't know what clothes she wore that day. Right. I don't know what color of horse Vienna Jakes rode into the river. I don't know where in the river they were at, whether it was calm. I don't know what time of day exactly. I don't know a lot of things. I have to just make them up and, yeah. and, and do my best. And so that scene, I depicted it as at uh, sunset. Uh, it's, it has this really cool rim light around all the figures. And um, anyway, so... Histor historically accurate event, yes. Historically accurate scene, no. You're never going to get perfect historical accuracy, nor, nor should you expect artists to always be perfectly historically accurate. Anybody who wants that has never picked up a paintbrush. Right. Well, or, or I would say this goes for any form of, of art, um, musical art as well. When we, When I sing about... I had the opportunity to be in savior of the world for our stake a few years ago. And I was played Mary, the mother of Christ. I got to depict her. I mean, talk about intimidating. Like what, is, what was the, what was Mary like? And, and I got to act as if I was her and sing as if I was her. And I, I don't know her, yeah. but I think that's part of what makes artistry so beautiful is that we get to live it as if, as we see it. Yeah. And it builds our testimony of that person and that event as we see it. And we yeah. get to imagine what would it have been like to be at that river? What would it have been like if, if I was there and, 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 and I saw that, or if I was, if I was Mary, how would I have acted? I don't know what it's like to be Mary, the son of God, but I know what it's like to be a mother and have sons of my own. Yeah. And I can draw on my own life experience to make a beautiful artistic moment. And that's what you've done with these pictures and repicturing the restoration is you've been able to take your testimony and your faith and put it into these pictures in a way that, I mean, really is just sharing your testimony of yeah. the restoration. And then that's why people love different artists. It's because how they depict what they think history yeah. was like. And that's what draws us to to people and songs and art is, is what, this is how they depict it. And you well, do it in good. such a beautiful way. Oh, thank you. That's a good way to think about it. Like this is their, this is their depiction. They're bringing their, their views, their experience, their interpretation. Every artist is a translator. Yeah. And, and this is their translation. And if it speaks to you, Great. If it doesn't, fine. Right, because um, they their biases as well. You yeah. know how they view things, and and that's okay. But I love that you said that. Like if it if it speaks to you, and that's how you see it too, and, and, and wonderful. Then that's great, and and um, that's the beauty of having a lot of artists. You know, yeah, right. Out there. Find find what speaks to you, and then let the art let art do what art does well, which art is able to speak to our soul 
in yeah. maybe a way that other mediums can't. It, it, it's a way that it gets us to think and ponder and ask questions and experience in a way that other mediums can't do. So let, let art be art and do what art does. Well, honestly, Anthony, you do it in such a beautiful way. You really can feel your testimony. And I've had the privilege to look at these pictures in advance. And this this book will be available in November. November 2nd is when it comes out. Yeah. And check it out. It's just, it's it's such a beautiful testimony, like I said, of, of, of the restoration. And for those that are wanting to learn, not just, not just enjoy art, but learn a little bit more about these backstories, these lesser known stories. Do you write about it as well? Are they mostly pictures or do you explain the background? Oh, no, no, no. So that, that I'm, I, that's, thank you for saying that. So I can clarify that. I don't want this just to be a pretty art book. Uh, hopefully it is that, but the book is, you know, 200 pages long. Oh, and, awesome. And it's got 25 paintings in it. So, you know, you do the math. There's there's four or five pages of commentary. And what I hope this does is, so for every painting, I, I write and talk about the historical background, what's going on. Then I talk about why I depicted the painting the way I did. So I give a little art insight. Awesome. And then the third part of it is I give an application, a lesson, uh, a potential thing that this scene from history can teach us. So, you know, take Jane Nyman and that first baptism for the dead. When Joseph Smith heard that that baptism had taken place, Joseph says, you know, where, what happened? Who did it? How did it, how did it happen? What was the prayer that was said? And when Joseph heard it all, he said, that works. That's fine. Oh my and goodness. So like, I, I use in the, in the book, I say, you know, it's a great lesson that the Lord accepts of our offerings, even if they're imperfect, uh, a woman in a river being baptized for a male, not a female, a man making up a prayer. And the witness is a woman on a horse. Right. And, and the prophet of God says, that's great. I accept it. And so every, every image, I also talk about some potential applications, some lessons that we can learn as modern saints trying to live the gospel too. Oh, how beautiful. That story, I I want to buy that book now just for that story because I can't think of anything more tender than a woman wanting that so badly for her child and being willing to do anything to do it and her faith yeah. being so strong that she yeah. knew I can do this. Like yeah. I believe in this concept and that Heavenly Father honored that. It's like the yeah. woman who touched Christ's garment when he was yeah. walking. He didn't lay his hands on her head and heal and do the oil. She just touched him and it worked. And what, what a cool, what a cool woman. Oh and my goodness. What a cool story. And so that's my hope is that these images will open up that people might start to know a little bit more. Some of these great stories because there's an artistic image to help them process it and know it. Oh, that is incredible. Well, Anthony, Thank you so much for taking the time today to come on my podcast to talk about how we can use our talents, how Heavenly Father can use us to do good. And thank you for all of the good that you are doing. Oh, thank you, Carmen. Thank you. It's such, such a joy to be with you, my friend. And thank you for all the good you're doing. You're awesome. Thank you so much.
If you want to check out any other episodes of Doing Good, tell your friends and family to download the Our Turtle House app and you can listen to all the different episodes as well as different firesides and teaching tips from people like John By the Way, Hank Smith, and Meg Johnson. I'm Carmen Herbert and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family. From full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.